Please open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6 for our scripture reading today. So we'll be reading the whole chapter. Uh, You can follow along with the sermon outline either on the back of the handout or on our website at hbcmanchester.org. And we do have Bibles available too if you do not have any. Uh, They're in the back foyer. Uh, You can take them home with you as well. Okay, so Isaiah chapter 6, starting in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the chain of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say this to, go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people, and the land is desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are made in the midst of the land, are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. Because of my love for baseball, I would estimate that I've attended in person approximately 100 Major League Baseball games. All the games that I have attended have, of course, been fun. I've enjoyed them all. But after a while, I got to the point where I felt like I knew what to expect at a game. I don't, didn't think that I would see anything new when I attended a game. But that changed on June 29, 1990. A friend and I drove to Toronto to watch the Blue Jays play the Oakland A's that night. And on that night, the A's pitcher, Dave Stewart, threw a no-hitter against Toronto. A no-hitter is very rare in baseball. There are only a few no-hitters that are thrown each year. 
But on that night, my friend and I saw something that we had never seen before in person. We saw a no-hitter. It made me appreciate and love baseball in a fresh way. Today, some of you are doing something that you have done hundreds, if not thousands of times in your life. You have come to church. You have come to worship God in the house of the Lord. You are just like Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah had worshipped God many times in his life. He loved God very much. He was a prophet of God. But something happened for Isaiah on this day of worship that he had never experienced before. Isaiah had a fresh encounter with God. While Isaiah was worshiping God in the temple in Jerusalem, God gave to Isaiah a vision of God being worshiped in the heavenly temple. Isaiah had never seen God that way before. And Isaiah's fresh encounter with God totally changed his life. I don't know if you are aware, but God is in the life-changing business. God can and does meet people in such a way that they become brand new people. It's like they are born again or something. And even for those who have already been born again, God still wants you to have a fresh encounter with him so that you might change. I don't know if you will have a fresh encounter with God today. That is up to God, and partially it is up to you. But certain things happen when you have an encounter with God in a fresh way, according to Isaiah 6. And so let's look at the things that happen when you have that fresh encounter with God. First of all, when you have a fresh encounter with God, you know God as king. In Isaiah chapter 6, we read the historical setting for Isaiah's vision of God. King Uzziah of Judah, according to verse 1, had just died that year. So who was Uzziah? He was a king who had reigned in Judah for 52 years. It's a long time. And his reign was something of a golden age of peace and prosperity for the people of Judah and its capital city of Jerusalem. Uzziah had been a good and a godly king for God's people. But then at the end of his long reign, Uzziah had done something bad. His reign ended in tragedy. He became proud of his greatness and one day he went into the temple to offer up incense to God, according to 2 Chronicles 26. But God had specifically commanded to his people that the offering of incense was only for the priests. When some courageous priest confronted King Uzziah that day, Uzziah flew into a rage. But God was on the side of the priests. And so, as a result, the Lord afflicted King Uzziah with leprosy. He spent the last months of his life in disgraced isolation because of his infectious disease and because of the judgment of God upon him. His sin led to death. 
Isaiah 6, then, is a chapter that is framed by death and doom. Uzziah dies in verse 1, and then at the end of the chapter, in verse 13, there's a, a great tree that falls, and it also dies. The tree is a symbol of the nation of Judah. The king has died, and the nation of Judah looks like it is about to die because of the threat from Assyria in the north. Everything feels uncertain by the time we reach Isaiah 6. And what does God do for Isaiah in this moment in history? He gives to Isaiah a vision of Judah's true king. That true king, of course, is God. In verse 1, Isaiah sees the Lord, not Uzziah's son on the throne. No human king or politician rules over your nation, God says to Isaiah. I rule, God says. I reign. God's throne is high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the heavenly temple. God has ascended to his throne. And he rules over all things. God and God alone is supreme in power over Judah and over the Assyrians and, in fact, over the whole earth. When King Charles had his coronation in London, England, a few months ago, there was some looking back to when his mother, Queen Elizabeth, had had her coronation in 1953. When Elizabeth was crowned queen... She wore something called the robe of state, which was six yards of hand-woven silk velvet lined with ermine fur. This robe was so heavy that it required seven, count them, seven ladies-in-waiting to carry the robe behind her. Brought a picture with me today of this robe and of Queen Elizabeth with her seven ladies-in-waiting. Now, it is hard for me to imagine a more impractical piece of clothing. When you wear this robe, you can't even walk. It's too heavy. You need a bunch of people to carry the robe behind you if you're going to walk in it. But that's what Queen Elizabeth did that day. I suppose the fact that the, the robe was so heavy was the whole point of wearing it. The robe highlighted Elizabeth's majesty and her power over England and the Commonwealth. Now, let us compare Elizabeth's great robe to the robe that God wears in his heavenly temple. Queen Elizabeth's robe was six yards long, but the train of God's robe It fills the whole temple. It wraps around and around and around. It fills up the very temple where God is. Why is the train of God's robe so long? It emphasizes his supreme authority and majesty and the power of God. God and only God rules. So in Isaiah 6, we come to the place where we understand King Uzziah is gone. It's a new day, a new era, an insecure day for Judah. 
And in about 20 years, the nation of Assyria would defeat the northern kingdom of Israel in war, and it would take the people of that kingdom into exile. At that time in the future, it would look like Judah and Jerusalem were next in line to be defeated by the Assyrians. So what does God at this moment in history show to Isaiah clearly in a vision? God is still on the throne. God is still the king. And the same thing is true for you today. To some of you, as you look at your future, it looks dark today. Your own future does not look good. This Perhaps the same is true for America's future. It looks cloudy to you at this time. Even the church seems to be in decline today. So what is God's word to you today? The Lord God Almighty is still on the throne. He still rules. He is the king, just like he was in the year that King Uzziah died. God the king can never die, and his throne will never be empty. When you have a fresh encounter with God, you see that he is still the king. And when you have a fresh encounter with God, you also know that God is holy. God, of course, is attended in heaven, not by ladies-in-waiting, but by angels. And two of the angels attending God are called seraphim in verse 2. Literally, seraphim are burning ones. Since God is a consuming fire of holiness, it is not surprising that the angels who are closest to God are also burning with fire. Angels, of course, have never sinned. They are perfect. But these creatures who have never done evil must use two of their wings to cover their faces and two of their wings to cover their feet. Four out of their six wings, then, are used to protect these sinless creatures from the glory of God. Two-thirds of their energy, then, is being used to be kept safe from the holy God. And what do these two seraphims say back and forth to one another as they are near to God? We read in verse 3, Holy, holy, Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. In the English language, when we want to emphasize something, we might use the word very in our sentences. And so we might say, Maine is a very great state. Now, of course, Hebrews would agree that Maine is a great state, but the way that they would say that is that Maine is a great state great state. They would repeat the word great. But when the seraphim talk about God, do they use just two words to talk about God's holiness? No. God is so holy that for the only time in the Bible, we see three words that are used back to back to back to emphasize something about the holiness of God. Who is God? Holy. Holy, holy, 
God is the holiest of holiest of holy beings. If you're getting the feeling this morning that Isaiah was blown away by the holiness of God, I think you're right. All of Isaiah's senses were experiencing the holiness of God in his vision. He sees the holiness of God in the long train that filled the temple. And then he hears the holiness of God as the seraphim call back and forth to each other. Holy, holy, holy. And then he feels the holiness of God in verse 4. As the thresholds in the heavenly temple, they shake like there's an earthquake going on. And finally, Isaiah even smells the holiness of God as smoke fills his nostrils in verse 4. So what Isaiah experienced of God in the temple, in the heavenly temple, is similar to what Moses And the people of Israel experienced at Mount Sinai when God gave to the people the Ten Commandments. Do you remember how the mountain shook when God came down to meet with his people? Well, that's what happened for Isaiah. And do you remember the smoke on the mountain when God came down to visit his people? That same smoke was what Isaiah experienced in the heavenly temple. No one was allowed to set foot on the mountain in Moses' day when God came down. They couldn't get near to God because they would die in the presence of his holiness. What Isaiah encountered in the heavenly temple then was Mount Sinai all over again. So what does Isaiah say when he encounters God's holiness for himself? Woe is me, he says in verse 5, for I am lost. I am lost literally means I'm destroyed or even I'm disintegrating. If you want to think of the wicked witch of the West and the Wizard of Oz saying, I'm melting. It's kind of what Isaiah is saying here in Isaiah chapter 6. He was melting in the presence of, of the holy God. In this fresh encounter with God, Isaiah now says, Woe to me! Last week we saw in Isaiah chapter 5 that Isaiah had said to the people of Judah, Woe to you! He said that six times. Woe to you! Disaster is coming upon you because of your sins. But now that Isaiah has seen with his own eyes and experienced God's holiness, Isaiah changes his words. He no longer says, woe to you. He says, woe to who? Woe to me. I am in serious trouble because of the holiness of God. I am just as much a sinner as the people that I have been called to be a prophet to. Isaiah knows that disaster is coming for him because of his sin. Sometimes I will hear Christians say to me, Pastor, I really want to get closer to God. And that always makes me happy when I hear that, that people want to get closer to God. There is no one better for you to get close to. But do you know what will happen 
when you get close to God, do you know what's going to happen to you? The same thing that happened to Isaiah. You will say to yourself, Woe is me! I am lost! I am melting in the presence of God! I used to think of myself as a, as a really good person in comparison with all the people around me. But now I know, now that I have seen the holiness of God, I know that I am wicked too. I am ruined. Have you encountered the holy God in that way? When you see God in his holiness, you will at the very same time see yourself for who you are. You get a true view of your own sin when you at the same time get a view of God's holiness. The good news of the gospel is that the holy God still loves you. He loves you so much that he has made a way for you to become holy as he is holy. A life of faith, then, is going to be a life of holiness for you. So what did Isaiah see about himself when he saw the burning holiness of God? He said in verse 5, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Isaiah, of course, was a, a prophet of God. He's one of the best people in all of Judah. He had been gifted by God, and he had been called to speak by God to his people. But when Isaiah saw the holiness of God, he recognizes that even his service to God is tainted. It's tainted by sin and darkness within Isaiah's life. And if Isaiah was sinful, how sinful must the people of Judah have been at the same time? Real, sinful. W.H. Auden was a Pulitzer Prize-winning poet, and in 1940 he walked into a theater in the United States where a Nazi propaganda film called Psyche was being shown to some German immigrants. And whenever a Polish person appeared on screen, all the German immigrants shouted out, Kill him! Kill him! These immigrants wanted to see Germany's enemies destroyed. Auden was so shocked by what he saw and heard in that theater that he got up and he walked out. Auden was a humanist. He believed that all people are basically good. He said that one question kept running through his mind as he walked out of that theater that day. What response can my enlightened humanist tradition give to this evil, to those who cry out for the blood of innocent people? He began to sense that the only answer to evil was not in humanism, but in the God of the Bible. He became convicted both of the holiness of God and of his own sinfulness. Later that year, Auden became a Christian. Previously, Auden had a very high view of himself and of humanity and a low view of God. But after his conversion, Auden switched. 
He changed. He had a very high view of God and a low view of himself and of humanity. The same thing happened to Isaiah when he had his fresh encounter with God. He thought that he was melting in the presence of God. And then somehow things got worse for Isaiah. If you look at verse 6, what did Isaiah see flying straight at him at that time? He saw one of those seraphim, those burning ones, coming straight for him with a coal, a burning coal from the altar in the temple. I'm sure that at that moment, Isaiah thought to himself, this is it. My life is over. I'm toast. Oh, but God. God had a surprise in store for Isaiah. In his fresh encounter with God, Isaiah knew that God is gracious. And when you have a fresh encounter with God, you will be overwhelmed with the grace of God. So where did the burning coal come from that the seraphim had taken in verse 6? Where was that coal taken from? It was taken from the altar in the heavenly temple. The altar uh, is a sign that the, the coal had to come from the place where a sacrifice had been made. You see, Isaiah's problem and our problem is that we are guilty. So how can we get close to the holy God? How is that possible? Praise God. God can take away our guilt. You see, the altar was the place of sacrifice. In Isaiah's day, a a person's guilt was symbolically placed upon an animal. And the animal died in the person's place. The punishment for sin was paid for by the animal instead of by the worshiper. Isaiah's sinful lips then were touched by this burning coal from the altar. And Isaiah's guilt was taken away. And church, if you believe that Christ died in your place, your guilt has also been taken away. It's gone. Isn't that good news? That your guilt has been removed from you. Jesus is the Lamb of God who died in your place so that your guilt can be taken away by God's amazing grace. After that coal touched Isaiah's lips, we see what the seraphim said to Isaiah. He said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Your sin is now covered in the presence of God because of the sacrifice. So far, we have seen that when Isaiah had a fresh encounter with God, he became aware of his own guilt, and he became aware as well of God's amazing grace. But in verse 8, we see that when God's grace takes away your guilt, you are left with gratitude. God had an assignment in mind for his people in Isaiah chapter 6. And so God asks in verse 8, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? 
Do you see who raises his hand at this moment? It's Isaiah. And Isaiah says, here I am. Send me. He reminds me of the kids we had at Kids of Hope Camp this week. They were constantly raising their hands because they knew the answer. They knew what to do. And here is Isaiah. He has been forgiven. He has received God's grace. And what is his first response? Out of gratitude, Isaiah says, God, I want to serve you no matter what the assignment is you have for me. Now, what was Isaiah's assignment from God? To be blunt, it was a weird job. It was a hard job. For God says in verse 9 to Isaiah, Say to the people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. God was going to use Isaiah to harden the hearts of the people of Judah, just like God had used Moses to harden Pharaoh's heart. I'm sure that Isaiah was hoping in this moment that God could use him to bring revival to the nation of Judah, to bring the people of Judah back to God. I'm sure that Isaiah was hoping that he could go out and say, God cleansed me of my sin, now he can cleanse you. He can cleanse the whole nation. He can make us holy and clean. But that was not the assignment that God had for Isaiah. You see, most people did not want to be cleansed in Isaiah's day. The word of God is a powerful thing. Sometimes God uses his word to change people's lives and to bring life to people. But sometimes God's word meets with rejection from hard hearts and it brings God's judgment in response. God was giving to his people one last chance. And sadly, Judah would ignore God's word once again. Let me ask you today a sobering question. What if this word of God from Isaiah 6 today is your last chance to respond favorably to the grace of God so that your guilt might be taken away? Will you respond to this word of God with repentance of sin and turning to Christ in faith? Or will you harden your heart one last time before God sends judgment? The people of Judah, unfortunately, they would reject God's word through Isaiah once again. What would be the result? Judah's cities, according to verse 11, would lie waste. Judah would be defeated by a foreign army. And the Lord would remove Judah's people from the land and take them far away into exile, according to verse 12. How sad. How incredibly hopeless must Isaiah's message have felt. Verse 13 says that even the tenth of the population that survived, 10%, they would burn again after Judah's defeat. So there would be a very small percentage of people who survived. You read this and you say to yourself, is there any hope at all? Let me remind you, with God, 
there is always hope. Even if that hope is completely undeserved and unexpected. God will leave a remnant of his people who trust him and have faith in him. And God will never abandon his people. Look at the end of verse 13. The last sentence of this chapter reads, The holy seed is its stump. You see, the nation of Judah would be like a large tree that would be cut down and die. But there would still be a, a little bit of life left in that stump. Who would be the seed coming from that stump? Isaiah will answer that question in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 1. Let's read that sentence together. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Some of you might ask at this point, who is this Jesse guy? Well, Jesse was the father of King David, Israel's greatest king in its history. And so Isaiah chapter 6 then begins with the death of one king, King Uzziah, but it ends with the promise of another king to come, a Messiah who would come from the line of David. This Messiah, this Christ, would take away Israel and Judah's guilt by his gracious death on the cross for our sins. Judah's future was indeed dark. Their nation would be defeated in war and exiled. But there was still hope. There was hope in a coming king, Jesus, who would take away all of their guilt and all of their sin. Today, you have come face to face with the holiness of God. How are you going to respond to this fresh encounter with God today? My hope is that you respond like Isaiah did, with an uncomfortable admission coming from your lips. Woe is me. I am ruined. I am unclean. Admit your sin to God today. When you admit your sin, you can then become truly clean before God when you cry out to God for cleansing. God will meet your guilt with his grace. The holy judgment of his fire that fell on Christ will touch your life and will cleanse you of your guilt as you ask for that cleansing. And finally, I hope that the grace of God that has cleansed you of your guilt will lead you toward gratitude to God. Out of thanksgiving, I hope that you will now lead a life that is ruthless with sin and flees temptation. And out of gratitude, I hope that you will respond to any assignment that God has for you with the words, here am I, send me. Let's pray together. God, I thank you today for this fresh encounter we have had with you. Thank you for reminding us that you are the king on the throne. Thank you for reminding us of your complete holiness, your separateness from sin and from all of us. 
There is no one like you, God. We thank you, O God, that your grace forgives us of sin. I pray that out of re- in a response to your grace, that we would be grateful people, that we would serve you in whatever way that you ask us to serve. Thank you, God, for meeting with us today. In your name we pray, amen.